As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome everybody once again to The View from the Lane, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcaster from The Athletic. I'm your host, Danny Kelly. Along beside me today is The Athletic's James Moore, which welcome though it is, you'd rather expect. And alongside him, um, and now my mind is playing the 21st century Fox film music, the fanfare that accompanies the opening of their films, is the return, everybody, of Tim Spears. Hello, James. Hello, Danny. I was just trying to work out. The last time Tim was on, and Tim might remember this, was the last time you were on the one we recorded in the studio here where we were all saying Spurs are going to win the Champions League? Uh, you, you were saying Spurs are going to win the Champions League, yeah. My, some uh, of us were saying oh, it. Oh, responsibility, you thought so as well. It was around that time. Yeah. It's interesting It's interesting you mentioned the word award-winning there, Danny. I mean, because when I started on this podcast regularly in September, it was just just a podcast, of course. Yes. Um, and think, then six, uh, six months later... yeah. I, when, actually, go. when I started on it as well, it was just a podcast. So, you know. <laughs> it's more than a podcast. It was a way of life. <laughs> um, Tim, it's an absolute joy to have you. And the reason Tim is here is because he's written a piece trying to, I think, to calm Spurs fans down about what a terrible season this is. And later on, we'll get onto the piece he's written for The Athletic about a much, much, much worse season for Spurs in living memory um, when they save themselves with just a game or so to go from relegation. Um, we'll do all that in the second half of the show, but uh, we'll also on this episode be discussing Daniel Levy's huge summer to-do list. Um, welcome back, Tim. Great to have you back, and let's get started. As mentioned in, on a previous podcast by a listener, uh, Mike Bradford, he'd come up with this list of things that Levy has to sort out this summer, and they include, they are not exclusively, but they include, deep breath, Danny, re-sign or sell and replace the irreplaceable centre-forward, sell or replace the club captain, Loris. Offload a lot of unwanted players, including those returning from loans, of which I think there are 11. Um, buy new players that genuinely improve the first team. Find us a new manager and staff. Find us a new director of football. And before we tackle Easy. those things, before we tackle those things, I mean, you could also add to the list the naming rights of the stadium. Um, a whole load of players coming into the last weeks of their contract and decide what to do about Ryan Mason. But uh, 
you know, is it easy? James, I hear you saying uh, that for fun. Um, I actually think if you appoint a manager, several of those things start to click into place reasonably quickly. Well, yeah, that is true. I mean, I, I, I was thinking about this this morning. I know we're going to talk about Hugo Lloris in a little bit, but the, the very real possibility Spurs are going to have to replace their goalkeeper and captain and like trying to work out how they're going to do that and who it would be that would come in. But without a manager or a sporting director slash director of football, it's hard to see like how that process is going gonna, is gonna to begin. So, I mean, you're right. Like once you kind of set the thing in motion, it should be a bit more straightforward. But until then, until the first piece of, is in place, like nothing is going to happen. There's going to be this logjam uh, of like really important issues for the club to fix. And we're now, I worked this out a minute ago, I think it's 46 days into Unbelievable. the kind of managerless flux. Uh, which is obviously a long way towards the seventy-one of, uh, of twenty. Oh, I think there's, I think there's every chance we'll get to seventy-one again. Would, every I mean, chance. I, and they're certainly going to go another two weeks, aren't they? Before, up to the end of the season. So that takes you to weeks. what in your, on your on your calculator? Yeah, it'd be like sort of sixty, I guess. Yeah. So, so yeah, if I don't do it in, in, within a couple of weeks, that, that, of that season, only takes like, one senior manager to go on holiday for a week, and you're there, aren't you, yeah. dude? You know. Yeah. Um, Tim, uh, while I admit that uh, you were the catalyst that turned this shambolic podcast into the award-winning um world rogering beast that you see today you could also argue if that's the case i would argue that you've overseen spurs descending into utter chaos um so you could take the blame for that if you're having the credit for the podcast i mean you, you now that you no longer report on them does that to-do list seem too short too long or perfectly doable to you uh, I mean, what, one thing that's that's missing from any of that, for, which I think a lot of supporters would be calling for, is is one new investment or two, you know, uh, new owners and the 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 Levy stuff's been. Yeah, Daniel continue. Levy can't have f off on his list. Can he? <laughs> yeah, f off, Dan. Another seven. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, I think I think it's an important point to make that that that's the catalyst that a lot of people want for for wholesale change at Spurs, and, and people feel like. The wholesale change that is needed won't happen when Levy's still there. So, uh, yes, you're right. It can't be on his to-do list. But um, but that's certainly uh, an, an increasing factor for an awful lot of fans, right? I mean, the Levy out chants are still... still I can still hear them when I'm watching Spurs mm -hmm. games. Mm -hmm. And look, those people are... As I'm going to say, restate my position again. Those people are absolutely entitled to that point of view. I don't think they're entitled to say that it just because you don't necessarily agree with it at the moment, that you're therefore enabling Levy. I hate that kind of binary uh, Twitter sphere bullshit that people get into now. Um, it's equally okay to hold an opinion, as I do, that we need to be very, very careful about this. The second thing is, and I will say this again, but just to, you know, to help inform the, the Levy out people, Daniel Levy and Joe Lewis would be nuts to sell the club at the moment. The Manchester United valuation will drive the big Premier League clubs above the valuation of the big NFL clubs, which is a, a mental ceiling which the American hedge funds, etc., and investment funds have been so far afraid to do because it will start to value the Premier League more than the NFL. And yet that is the reality. And my suspicion is that Todd Bowley's deal for Chelsea and whatever Manchester United gets sold for will mean that there'll be the, the dam will break and the big European clubs will be worth more than NFL clubs. So they won't sell them at the moment because they can see there's another turn of the valuation wheel to come. And I can see big European football clubs, particularly when they start tickling up another version of the Super League, going for six and seven billion, never mind three and a half billion that people are quoting at the moment. 
All right, Tim. So it, it, let's say that, that, that um, you're right to mention that uh, for the people who want to see that, that change at the ownership level. But again, looking at it from the, your end of the telescope these days, um, we, we talk up the crisis here at Spurs, you know, small C, big C, whatever it is. You've had three or four months away from it now. Does it seem a crisis? I mean, the team's form has collapsed, but uh, other than that, other other than that mm. i mean well since i stopped covering the the club they've they've sacked two managers they've uh, mm. they've they've lost the director of football mm. and uh, yeah, uh, the, the newcastle game alone is is a crisis so yeah i i I'd, I'd say the c word is is absolutely fair enough it still astonishes me that that they've held a decent position in the table for for so long this season and they were third when the referee gave that phantom penalty at southampton that's, that is crazy that's isn't it? That is crazy. they were third <laughs> I would call that a sliding doors moment if I understood what a sliding doors moment yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, But that's another story. Spurs might have been better off if Gwyneth Paltrow at centre back in that game. Yeah. To be fair, <laughs> at least she might have tried to close down the shots. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you might want to work on that joke, James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They've just got to use it as, a, as, a, as an opportunity. Like there is, there's so much scope to turn this club around. I, I don't. I, yes, yes, they are in crisis. I would completely agree with that. However, I don't think it's um, an insurmountable crisis that takes a five-year plan to turn it around. You know, similarly to how Man United turned their season around, you know, from the depths of despair fairly quickly with some with a few smart moves. I feel like that's where Spurs are at, in my opinion. You know, if they hire a decent, forward-thinking, ambitious head coach and make a few good signings, then they can be in a much better place next season. I don't think it's a huge job to turn it around, but it takes smart decisions, the kind of which haven't happened for quite a few years now. That would be my I'm concern. I'm admiring your optimism there um, and your determination to see the bright side of things um, when you say this is, you know, uh, this the, the, the C word um, uh, presents an opportunity for change. Uh, it's a bit like getting home, isn't it, and finding... The lady wife on the doorstep with your few belongings in a hold-all, clutching the kids under her arm with a lawyer behind her, saying, you're out of here, son, and going, ah, I've always wanted to live in the park. Uh, this is an opportunity for me to fulfil my ambition to live in the park. <laughs> the crux there of what Tim said, though, James, is, and, you know, without enabling anybody um, or triggering anybody, the fact of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, that in the last two or three years, the majority of the decisions that Daniel Levy has made on a football level have not been of the highest quality. And he's that's that's the thing, isn't it? He's got to get... We've said this three times in the last two years. He's got to get this right. Yeah, I mean, that is the thing. And, and I, I agree with Tim, and I think he's right, that if you look at it, and, you know, you were kind of being flippant about that Southampton game, but it is true, like, if they'd not had that penalty awarded against them and clung on to win that game, you know, then maybe then things would have been different against Everton and Bournemouth, you know, games where they underperformed and dropped points late in both cases and then suddenly you go into that run of much harder games Newcastle Manchester United Liverpool and I'm not suggesting it would have swung the balance so much that they would have won all three of those games but it would have felt very different and they would have had more confidence and you know they might still be outside the top four but they might still be within touching difference you just don't know what happens it all feels very different so on the one hand there's that and the fact that the squad is a bit of a mess but not a complete disaster you know I think only four to six players away from being very very good I think if if we're kind of working on a basis that players like Kulusevski who have underperformed broadly this season kind of get back to a level they were before if Bente Kerr comes back in this somewhere near or at the level he was at before he got injured if obviously, players of the quality we, we hope that of does happen. Misuma and yep. uh, Spence and Richarlison are given a proper chance to play football matches that 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 would help too 
Yeah, exactly. And you know, if, if Udogi comes into the squad and does as well as we hope he does, you know, I've not actually seen loads of him in Italy this season. It sounds like he's done really well, but you know, he's not been playing it in one of the teams at the very top. So we we'll have to see how that goes. Um, he's Pedro Porro too. Those are the he's Pedro Porro too. Fab, yeah, fabulous yeah, at might... running. Really good at yeah. attacking. Very Danny Rose once he gets into the the uh, into the opposition's third. Although he doesn't look to put in crosses, he heads for the centre forward spot to try and score, um, which makes my ways also our position when the other team break. Well, yeah, well, which may be a complication we'll have to come around to. But anyway, the point is that as as you say, the decisions have all been so bad that it's hard to have much faith that they're going to find the right sporting director, they're going to find the right manager, and then they're going to sign the right players. Uh, you know, it's quite a big if to say if they go out and sign four or five of the right players, they have a really good squad because that's happened so rarely in the last four or five years, maybe even slightly longer than that. And because, you know, anybody who is good enough to play for Spurs and look to improve that first team, then other clubs will be in for them as well. But that's the, that's the nature of the, the game as, as it stands. Um, the, the one player who's clearly good enough for Spurs, Tim, um, um, is, is Harry Kane. I noticed Jay Bothroyd. Congratulations, Jay, um, on, on Sky this morning, telling, explaining at great length why he has to leave Spurs. He joins a list of Paul Merson, Ian Wright, Lee Dixon, Alan Smith. I'm sure there are others of ex-Arsenal players who are absolutely insistent that he must leave Spurs. Um, no such talk about Saka. He could end up... So no trophies for Saka this season. Surely that great player has to move on in order to fulfil his potential and all the rest of it. Shut up. Um, Tim, the I can't I can't work it out because um, half the in the nose say, oh, Caden will say out his contract now, he'll stay there for another year. The others, um, either, the ones who are not, you know, loudly plotting to get him out of the club are saying, well, he probably will go. What, what's your What's your opinion now? Again, I'm because I'm, I'm so interested because you were you were embed, embedded in the club for six months and now you've had a chance to escape the chaos, so to speak, and look at it from from through a different prism. Nothing I've heard or seen from him suggests he's angling for a move this summer. I also think it's quite a limited market. I, the money that Levy will want for him, which we know will be massively inflated for a player who's got limited resale value, who's about to turn 30 and has one year left on his contract, who's who's going to pay the silly money? I think we're talking a very small number of clubs here. It doesn't, doesn't mean to say it won't happen. But I don't think I can't envisage some kind of bidding war with four or five clubs that are realistically going to get anywhere near Levy's valuation. And I think ultimately that's what will decide his future. It won't be whether Kane wants to go. It'll be who, who's who's going to put up the money that Levy will demand to prize him away from Spurs after all this time. Is it really going to happen this summer? It feels unlikely to me. Um, I don't I don't really see many things pointing towards the fact that he's going to leave. Um, whether he signs a new contract is a whole different matter. And if I was him, I'd be keeping my options open and I wouldn't be signing anything. But, you know, as for this summer, it doesn't doesn't look likely to me. I don't know what you guys think, but that's 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 from the outside looking in, that's my viewpoint. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't I don't there's not an obvious club in a number, there's been a lot of talk of buying, but you know, I I'm not sure they haven't got the money that they did a few years ago. And I know there's been a bit of talk about PSG and there's always talk about PSG and, you know, they may be a forward light at some point in this transfer window. But I don't know. And to answer your question, Tim, when you ask me what I think about Kane, I have no logical response to that at all because I have no logic about this fella. It's entirely emotional. Personally speaking, I, I, you know, I would, go, I would offer him a one-year contract on improved terms right now just to show how much he's loved. And then I would make everybody who supports the club a huge queue 
uh, going from the stadium probably to, uh, uh, I don't know, on the service stations on the M1, everyone would then come down the high road, walk down and kiss him when he signs a new contract. I mean, never mind statues. Let's have some proper um, uh, person-to-person love for this fella. Um, I've no idea what, what, what will happen with him. I noticed he's done an interview with Sky this very morning um, in which he... He didn't say I would love to have a statue outside of it for me. He just did his usual Harry Kane thing of saying, well, you know, um, I, I, I take each season as they come and all the rest of it. So we'll see, we'll see what happens there. We started this season, and this is one of those ones where um, legendary and veteran broadcasters like myself are made to look a fool. Um, I remember doing a long soliloquy about how I, I never w- lost a moment's sleep about Spurs' goalkeeping position because I trust in Hugo I trust. And of course, he's... Form hasn't fallen off a cliff. That would be a lie. Um, but in the drama world of, you know, 2023, 24-hour rolling news, social media, etc., uh, he is now, of course, the worst goalkeeper in the world. Um, but it does seem that, so we may have seen the last of him. I mean, really sad that we don't get a chance to send him off after, what is it, 11 years of sterling service. But if Hugo was feeling a bit sad about his form this season, about his injury, and the possibility of not saying goodbye to the Spurs players... And, and 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 fans, Charlie Eccleshare in the in the athletic this morning saying that he may have something to cheer him up, and that is a pile of money that would dwarf K two. Um, Charlie's piece says that Loris is weighing up his options after receiving a big money offer from a club in Saudi Arabia. It is believed, says Charlie's piece, and I therefore believe it, that the offer would see Loris treble or more than treble is £100,000 a week wages at Spurs. Um, for those of you who haven't done a math so level, that means £300,000 a week plus uh, for Loris. And I don't know what the tax situation is in Saudi Arabia. It could well be that's tax-free as well. Uh, <laughs> I bet it's pretty good. Loris, the Tottenham Hospital captain, says Charlie still has a year left on his Spurs contract and after 11 very happy years at the club, is not um, in a rush to leave. Although... 350 grand a week tax-free would put anyone into a rush to leave, wouldn't it? Um, whatever happens, um, James, uh, you know, with, with Larice, I just hope that people will remember the phenomenal service he's given Spurs over the years rather than the ricks he's dropped in the last six months. Yeah, I think they probably will. I don't, I mean, you know, we've been quite critical of him on this podcast at times and there definitely has been a, a slight decline, even if it's, as you suggest, not sharp. Um, but I, I don't think there's really a sense that he's been to blame for Spurs' problems this season or or predominantly to blame more than anyone else. So I don't think there's kind of, you know, he, he's, he has made mistakes in big games actually this season. But that Arsenal game now in January feels so long ago. It feels almost, I mean, I wouldn't like to describe a North London derby as insignificant, but in the grand scheme of things to Spurs' season, it doesn't feel like, you know, had they won that now, I don't know. I'm not sure how much of a difference made. It really would have made in reality. I'll ask you again if Arsenal sneak past City and win the title. I go how important that game was. Okay, yeah, fair, fair, <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Um, so no, I don't. I, I I actually think in a way, him not being in the team at the end of the season possibly prevents that. I mean, after that, you know, what happened? He was pretty bad in that first half at Newcastle. Felt he's probably culpable for a couple of the goals, um, which wouldn't be a fitting way for him to end his time with the club but I just I suspect there being a few games afterwards the possibility of a reasonably good end to the season relative to where it looked like things were going immediately after that game 
I think you'll probably avoid that. But it that, it, it, it feels like a unsuitable end, but maybe not an entirely unpredictable one. Okay. Listen, there's, uh, there's such a lot to get through in the second half. I'm going to bring this first half of the podcast. Um, I use half uh, advisedly because it, they're never the same length, are they? Um, but just to uh, kind of throw this out there, Tim, we all, we're all being led to believe that manager X and manager Y and potential coach Z will not come till they know who the director of football is. Let me ask this question. Um, we gathered together all my decades of broadcasting experience to ask the question in, in the most serious way I can. Does anybody give a fuck who the director of football is? <laughs> uh, it's a really good question. <laughs> uh, no, not really. That I, is I the think, one very true and correct answer. Well done. <laughs> there, are def- there are definitely people on social media who care. They about do this. care. They care the, a lot. The people who... Sang Paratici's name at Palace ah. last season, <laughs> but that's that's the problem, isn't it? Was it Adam Crafton who, who either wrote a piece or tweeted about this the other day? You know, the celebrities, the celebrity sporting directors. You know, we, nobody wants that. We need to put an end to that. It's, it's ridiculous. I'd much rather have a background figure that you just never hear of, to be honest, who just runs the apartments, the departments, you know, efficiently, um, does what the head coach wants in terms of recruitment, um, sorts out. Sorts of stuff that managers don't do anymore, like like contract negotiations, things like that. But is is but doesn't have an ego and doesn't chase headlines, you know. Um, yeah, because yeah, it's become that, a, that, it's a become a separate um, sort of employment category in which you have to keep yourself in the public eye uh, because you're hoping to do you know the full rounds of Spurs, then Paris Saint Germain, then Juventus, and and all the rest of it. Um, I, look, if it helps get someone in to organized contracts and things and so be it uh, and all the rest of it I, I, like you I don't need somebody who's going to be on the touchline looking at their phone to try and get the crowd to cheer their name and inevitably there are in football many many ways to skin a cat not always the one that everybody else does the example I always give um, is that Roy Keane who did okay at football didn't he and I think earned a few shillings at it as well never had an agent Roy had John Kennedy, a music business lawyer, because John would not let anything go. He knew how to, he knew ways around a contract, and his way of negotiating was to say, this is what my client is worth. Do you think you could help us towards that? Um, and that was the name of it. Roy didn't have an agent. He, he had a lawyer. Um, and so if somebody who comes in, I don't care what title they give him or her, but as long as they can organize the contracts and organize the scouting system, because not well, no one person can scout all the players in the, in the world. And if they say they can, then they're lying. Unless Andy Brassell becomes director of football, that's a different story then. Listen, thank you both for that. It is a terribly long to-do list, but like all to-do lists, and I never make one, because um, my to-do list would just say, make a to-do list, you know. Um, I never make them, but, you know, as I always say to the lady wife, who is besotted with them with to-do lists, just do the first three things you put on your to-do list. Everything else underneath is probably not important. Hang on, the, f- the fourth thing on this list that you went for is buy new players. Yeah, that's that. That's the somebody. <laughs> we definitely that need was to do somebody that. Somebody else's Danny. list. I'm not sure. Okay. Do, I mean, you know, how, you say four to six. Let's say they get get Odoji in. That they the new manager fancies Basuma. That the new manager. Um, He's fancies Jed Spence, or, or, or now got three. And Fraser Forster. Um, well, there you are. There's, so you might say a goalkeeper and a centre back. If he's going to play four at the back, because um, the big job will be getting the ones out, won't it? We're going to have a very long um, loan list again next season. But I take your point. Once you've made the list, get manager, buy players, improve team. There's my list. Everything else after that, 
name the stadium after Harry Kane if you want, or me. I don't mind. Um, or the podcast, the view from the Lane Stadium. It has a certain ring to it, doesn't it? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly, alongside me, uh, James Moore, as always, and so welcome. And a very big return, bunting in many villages in Britain and fires lit in the high places, the return of Tim Spears. Let's start with an email. And you can email us, of course, at vftl at theathletic.com. And this is from Luke. Dear Danny and the team, I was inspired uh, by your recent listener's email regarding offering Harry Kane a small stake in the club and a way of tempting him to sign a new contract. I too have been thinking outside the box, says Luke uh, proudly. Um, Kane clearly rates Mason as a manager. They are friends and, and they are t- ex-teammates. Why not bring back the classic player-manager stroke role from years gone by? But in this case, make Mason permanent manager with Kane as his playing assistant manager. Um, leadership on and off the pitch, a world-first a world role, uh, bringing true meaning to the position of captain in a similar way to the game of cricket, with a voice in recruitment and selection. Sound good, says Luke. I think expected that's a rhetorical question, I suspect, by the tone of it. Um, I've I got to say, uh, and I'm sure my colleagues will have their own view, I think Harry's got quite a lot on his plate. He will be captain of the team next year, almost certainly, uh, assuming he stays. He will be carrying the goal-scoring, goal-creating and corner-clearing burden, which is you know, the three jobs he does so well. Um, to add... Assistant player manager to the to the lineup. I'm not so sure. What do you think, uh, James? I'm pretty sure when Shearer was like angling, Alan Shearer was angling to leave Blackburn. 
That's, I can't believe you're going to mention that. I was literally going to say Are that. You going to say that's that? cr- that was crazy. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Jack Walker offered him the player manager's job just after Doug Leach had left. So there is precedent for a desperate club to hold on to you know a, a record goal scorer by offering them a didn't senior Didn't Kenny Dalglish himself have one of his great seasons? Didn't Liverpool have one of their great seasons when he was player manager? Yeah, he was at, yeah, at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's not you know it's not entirely inconceivable. <laughs> Broadly speaking, but there's absolutely no way that's going to happen, is there? The problem there is if it was Harry Redknapp getting the gig, then you could see it working, Luke. But how much would it undermine an already inexperienced yeah. um, um, Ryan Mason if, if Harry Kane was, was running over to the touchline every 10 minutes to say, what about him? Move him up a bit. This boy Poro. Also, I think if Ryan Mason gets the manager's job, I kind of think uh, maybe this is a bit of a cliche, but don't you want him to have like an experienced sounding board as his number two. I don't know who that could be. I don't know who, which of his... Yeah, well, like, like Sammy Lee, if he's not doing jury service, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But I don't know which of... Uh, I was going to say which of Ryan Mason's former managers he could be his number two, but maybe he could get Pochettino to be Mason's Oh, th- yeah. Like, everyone's happy. Yeah, we're through the looking glass. But look, thank you for the idea. Yeah. So it, it definitely it definitely made us um, made us think. Um, in the case of our Arsenal sport producer, laugh. Um, now... Tim is here because, A, he's a great bloke. B, he's an important journalist. C, we promised him we'd get him back periodically um, after he turned the podcast from a literally risible shambles into the award-winning behemoth you, you're hearing today. Um, but, Tim, also, you've written a piece. And I think you've written a piece to try and get some perspective on this season for Spurs. Tell people about it. Yeah, that was sort of, I uh, guess, how it sort of maybe came about initially. Um, and it's 25 years, you know, we love an anniversary. Um since Spurs were almost relegated from the Premier League in 97-98, when, if people might remember, they started the season with Jerry Francis, ended it with Christian Gross, and sort of only secured survival on the penultimate day of the season. Um, so, yeah, that uh, the, the, the Wimbledon 6-2, which is the only thing I remember from that season in terms of football played from Spurs' point of view, that was the sort of starting point, but then also had a look at the whole season and, and just what went wrong and how on earth did a a team with the likes of Klinsman for half the season and and, and Les Ferdinand as Ginola and Darren Anderton and Sol Campbell and others find themselves, you know, not just dropping Stephen in the last Carr couple months of the season. But, that list but, of really, really excellent footballers. But yeah, they, they were in trouble the, for the whole for the whole season. They never they never really pulled pulled out. Um they were they were in the bottom three at Christmas, I think, or at least at the end of December, um, bottom three at the end of January. With five games to go, they were sort of two two points above the drop. Um, with teams below them to face, so it was it was really sort of nerve nerve um, shedding stuff. Yeah, the central the central theme of your piece though know, is that amazing game at uh, Sellers Park because um, Wimbledon were homeless at the time, weren't they? Um, they themselves weren't entirely safe, and so it was a relegation six pointer. Um, Spurs took the lead through Jurgen Klinsmann, and then typical of that season, very quickly. Um, conceded two goals to a man called Peter Fear to find themselves two goals down and very much stamping as hard as they could on the hinges of the relegation trapdoor. The rest, though, um, is the Jurgen Klinsmann show because uh, as well as the four goals, James, he also got the two assists that day. He was incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was like, for me, I would have been 12, just about to turn 13. Uh and I remember following it, and this is another massive cliche, I followed this game on teletext, which is the only way you could really like follow a game like that outside London 
in the year 1998. You may have to explain uh, to the younger and, people listening to you what teletext is or was. <laughs> yeah, teletext. How would you explain Really that? hard. People know what teletext is. Like rubbish. Uh, I can't. I don't even know how you'd explain that. Information over the TV. I mean, how do you explain that? I don't even know how to no, explain it's, that. It's, it, 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 just Google it. Yeah, just look, just look it up. Yeah. You don't know what that is. Yeah. Same. Uh, can we just say that if, it, if we say something on this podcast and you don't understand, just absolutely. It. And, and uh, uh, teletext was. But you can if, wait. Let, Google Im- it now. Imagine, we'll imagine the early days of the internet, but the early days of the internet on life support. Then you're getting what teletext was as yeah. the in black and yellow, four colours: yellow, yellow, yellow green, red. Yeah. It was like the skeleton of the BBC Sport website with some yeah. news stories and, and the tables and the scores, but it, but it was just on the telly. That's all. Anyway. The other thing I remember is Peter F- Peter Fear was uh, like the kind of comedy character in Match Magazine. He was like the the, the, the Premier League football they always took the piss out of. And I worked with uh, the editor or somebody who worked on Match Magazine later on, obviously not when I was 12. Uh, and he kind of told me that the reason that happened was because Peter Fear was always like, he'd always answer the phone. He'd always do their stupid little quizzes and interviews and whatever. So they completely rinsed him in every single issue because he was like up for it. But that meant that, like, when this guy scored two goals against Spurs in a massive game, I was like, "Oh my god, we're going to get sent down by Peter." Fitt, With all the, he- the, the, the headline writers would just love that as well, wouldn't they? Exactly. Yeah. Um, the just to give you some background to this, um, I'll quote from your piece, if I may, Tim. Um, this is Ramon Vegas, who spent the season alongside Sol Campbell um, in that in the team that nearly went down. He said, "When I arrived in 1997, infrastructure was all but non-existent." Says Ramon. The minute I landed at Spurs, I thought I was coming into a third world country in football terms. Facilities, knowledge, infrastructure, diet, fitness, those things just weren't there for the English players. And he goes on to describe in Tim's piece, which I actually recommend to you, um, how the English players would, would pitch up in their flip-flops um, you know, uh, 20 minutes after the, the continental players had finished their warm-up. Uh, not, not warm up at all, just have tea and a biscuit. I think it was the exact phrase, Tim. Is that right? Tea and a biscuit? Yeah, and that's then to right. start yeah. training. Tim, you had to, when you were re- researching the piece, is it possible, though, to, to understand how real the danger of relegation was that season? Or does it now seem like an abstract idea? Yeah, it, se- it seemed like a, an, an extremely real threat for the whole season, mostly because, as, Ra- as Ramon was sort of saying, it was really interesting to talk to him, actually. He's a lovely guy. There was sort of like no unity in the squad that year, and a lot of the, this kind of felt like Spurs' version of Arsene Wenger coming in, changing the diet, and of course we know that that sort of went very well, and the English players there took to it. It felt like Ramon didn't really say this explicitly because he didn't want to call people out, but it felt like you know the ideas that certainly Christian Gross was trying to was trying to bring in the English players didn't really buy into, to be honest. And when the team's struggling, it's a lot more difficult, right? And when a guy you've never heard of comes in as manager again, it's it's more difficult. So he said it wasn't a dressing room that was short on characters and they could grab each other by the throat and, and, and get physical, you know, that they had those kind of players in the dressing room. But in terms of unity, it, it was it was a struggle. Um, and he said that the fact that they came through it together post that Wimbledon game actually sort of set the groundwork for, you know, winning the League Cup next year, which was, you know, um, a very successful season with almost exactly the same team. Minus they had one new player Klinsman. in that League it Cup was, team. It was almost the same 11. Minus and minus Klinsman. Klinsman. yeah. Um, it's a great piece and I recommend it to people. And at the risk of um, boring you, um, no, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm informing you. Uh, it reminded me, Tim, as I was reading it, that that wasn't um, the most dangerous Spurs have been in the modern world of getting relegated. Of course, they went down in 77. But it took me back... Um, 
1975. Forgive me for this, but actually it's a great story. I don't, I don't feel like apologising at all. When Spurs got to the last game of the season in the relegation places in 1975, um, Bill Nicholson had gone um, and uh, Terry Neal, a former Arsenal player, had been appointed to a team that was really not very good at all. The best players were past their best, including the great Martin Chivers. So the goals dried up and they were in trouble all the way through the season. Um, It was an odd season in that in those days, in the old first division, the teams didn't all finish on the same day. So we got to Spurs' last game of the season, a night match against Leeds United, with Spurs having to win the game to avoid relegation. I think I've got that right. I'm almost certain. Yes, I know I've got that right. Bear in mind that Leeds are the reigning champions of England, have just defeated Barcelona in the semi-final of what becomes the Champions League, and are favourites to beat Bayern Munich in the upcoming final. And they come to White Hart Lane with Spurs needing this result. The official attendance that night was 48,900. That anyone who was there will tell you, because it was days of turnstiles, there were 70,000 people in that stadium. When I started to research this yesterday, James, I just thought, wow, hang on a second. Spurs played eight defensive players on a day, including the goalkeeper. They only played three forward-looking players. Martin Chivers, who'd been frozen out by the idiot Terry Neal, um, was recalled in a desperate attempt for the last game. Alfie Com played, and I can't remember who the other out-and-out forward was. They, Chris Jones, uh, Channel Island centre-forward, who, ne- who got very few goals but played a lot of games for Spurs. Spurs had all kinds of... I, mean, I can't remember if they played three at the back. I doubt it those days. I really doubt it. So that means they had a whole lot of defensive... John Platt... Terry Naylor and Steve Pemmer might all have played as defensive midfielders. I don't know what the plan was. In any event, the plan went really well. Cyril Knowles, Tottenham's left back, got a free kick in the first few minutes and slammed that in from outside the area. They got another free kick and did a a, a routine. And Martin Chivers, on his return, scored. Um, Then, you know, it's your night. The left back gets two goals. There was a penalty given and Cyril Knowles made it 3-0. The Leeds players were apoplectic. Now, they didn't, have, oddly enough, they had just won the week before the semi final of the Champions League or the European Cup. The final wasn't for another month. There was a five week gap between the semi final and the final. So they had their full team out, but I'm not sure they were that bothered about the result, except when the Spurs started to get cocky at 3 0 up. They had a, a Scottish forward called Peter Lorimer who had on him, I think, the hardest shot I've ever seen. I, I don't think there's ever been a, a person who could score from longer distance than Peter Lorimer regularly. He had a shot that hit the post and Joe Jordan, later assistant manager at Tottenham, made it 3-1. It was kind of warning to the Spurs. And you could see the Leeds players wagging their fingers at the Spurs players. Now, don't get two out of your box here. Uh, Alfie Conn got a four to make it 4-1. Peter Lorimer then, in response to that, almost immediately scored from an adjacent postal district to make it 4-2. And again, a warning to the Spurs players, we don't want this to be stupid now. We've got to keep ourselves fit for the European Cup final. Um, in the end, Spurs won 4-2. It was a huge celebration, um, and they survived by the skin of their teeth on the very last day. They did okay the next season, and the following season after that was when they were actually relegated. Back at the at the coalface of what we're doing in, in the real world, the, the defeats, I guess, I'll say this to Tim because I think, no, James, well, James, I'll say it to you because you weren't here on Monday. The defeats of Newcastle and Manchester United at the weekend have made people go, ooh, ooh. Um, the truth is, I suspect those Spurs are still fighting for a Europa League place and to avoid the Conference League if they can. Does that seem right? Yeah, I would say so, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I certainly didn't 
get excited by Manchester United and Newcastle losing over the weekend in terms of like Spurs surging into the that top four. That bird has flown, hasn't it? But that, yes, but one bird that didn't fly or one bird that got stuck in some toffee, whatever. Uh, Brighton losing to Everton, I think, is quite a significant result for Spurs, isn't it? Because they're Everton, uh, sorry, Brighton's next two games are Arsenal and Newcastle away. Then I think a couple of games after that, they've got Manchester City at home. So it's certainly not inconceivable that they drop a decent number of points between now and the end. I think I think they've got Southampton before Man City. But at least, that, at least that's a derby, isn't Villa. it? Uh, oh no, mm, I don't. I wouldn't no. say so. Uh, I don't Bright, think they Bright, so. I don't care think about Crystal Palace. Southampton care about Portsmouth. I've got it right. About yeah, Portsmouth, okay. yeah. I'm trying to work it up here to make it difficult so, uh, for Brighton. Come on. <laughs> no, but, but look, I mean, that, that, that might be inconsequential if they lost to Arsenal and Newcastle, didn't beat Manchester City at home, go to Villa last game, maybe Villa won't have anything to play for. I guess we have to hope that Spurs beat them and they, they're kind of out of it by then. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, look, I did say the other week, last week, that Spurs would finish above Brighton, right? I was poo-pooed by you and Charlie, and sure enough, here we are. Can you make make a little note there, Tim? James was right again, and um, the reason why we do, we why we make James do this uh, podcast in different locations, different rooms, all the time, is otherwise he'd be like one of those prisoners um, writing, scratching four downward vertical lines with a, a, a diagonal across them every time he was right. He'd be keeping a very. Do you keep a diary of your rightness, James? Yeah, I'm up to six now. Oh wow, six volumes. <laughs> six, yeah. Well, I, I was, I was just, I was interested by the by the excitement in James's in James's voice, which to be honest, I don't hear that that often because you know sometimes it can take him a while something to get excited. Um, but I remember after the Milan defeat, and I remember agreeing with you at the time that it kind of felt like right, season's over. What have we got to play for now? What oh maybe finish fourth again in May so we can have more of the same next year this utterly miserable sort of Champions League limp exit and I remember you saying James that you weren't that bothered about the about qualifying for Champions League that's the Champions of, League sort of done with it for the time I, know, look, so, I mean look I, I want them to do no, as well no, 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 as but possible you know, I, but yeah but are you, bother, are you bothered what, what about, I really meant by that was like I wasn't as motivated by Spurs finishing in the top four as I was like 10 years ago when like being no, in course, the Champions League yeah, felt yeah. like everything and now I've seen it I've seen it enough for it to not feel like the be all and end all like I want, obviously, I want Spurs to compete at that level, ideally. But them not being in it doesn't agitate me as much as it would have done, you know, in 2014 or whenever. No, I, t- I totally get that. But in terms of the short term for next season, I know Jack, Jack and Charlie have written a really good piece about this this morning. Are you, are you bothered about Europe? Because I, I personally, I think from a Spurs point of view, they're better off without it. Certainly better off without the Conference League. Yeah, I mean, the Conference League, uh, yeah, re- really, I have absolutely no interest in that. Um, and I suppose that's born partly out of the fact that it's, you know, there's no prestige there, there's no history there, I guess. So I wouldn't be fussed by that. But I think if they, if they can finish sixth, that's a broadly acceptable... I mean, it would be bad, but it's a broadly acceptable finish, isn't it? For Amid one, the one crisis, of the, it one would of be One of the big six to finish in the top six, it's like, you know... I, I wouldn't go as far as to say finishing sixth should be par for Spurs, but finishing in the top six should be par for Spurs. Considering everything that's happened yeah. this season, yeah. Uh, I'd like them to win the Europa League, Tim. Uh, and I know, you know, for t- going for back two, to what we're for saying two very before, good reasons. They should be able to win the Europa League, but history dictates, you know, recent history dictates that they probably won't. But, uh, yeah, for the two reasons that Danny is, I think I was about to say, one, win a trophy, two, then you're in the Champions League anyway. So, like, I don't, like, that's, I think that's a logical 
process for a club like Spurs in the position they're in at the moment. Like get a few new players in, you know, have a, have a slightly younger team, give everything in the Europa League. You know, even if you do have to rotate and Kane and Son, assuming they're still around, maybe don't play every single game, particularly in a group stage. You know, you have Richarlison to play up. Richarlison can actually play games as a centre forward if he wants in Europe, maybe. Um, they should be able to put themselves in a position where they can rotate and do that uh, and then kind of take it from there. You know, they've had seasons where they've been in Europe and done fine in the league before. They've been in the Champions League and qualified for the Champions League again. They've been had seasons where they've been in the Europa League and then qualified for the Champions League. So I don't think it should be an impossibility. Like, like you know, just because it hasn't happened before doesn't mean they shouldn't aspire to make it work better of next course. summer. However, if they did fall out of the European places, I really, I really don't think it would be a bad thing. I, I really don't. You know, I remember writing in November that they they barely had a squad to compete on one front uh, this season, let alone four. And I think with the travel involved, the amount of games involved, and the and the depth of that squad, we've seen we've seen it benefit some some clubs in the past. Right, I remember Chelsea winning the title under Conte. Oh, that you season, could Arsenal, um, you could argue that Arsenal regrouped in the season they had out of Europe. Last season, definitely. yeah, absolutely. Also, Arsenal, Arsenal have benefited from being in the Europa League and going out of it quite early this season, really, because they've kind of been able to really deprioritise that for the most part. And I think they've been, or they were, not necessarily unconvincing, but they were unspectacular. They were kind of scraping through. I think they won every game they played up to the point they got knocked out. But I don't think they're massively convincing and they were leaving out Saka and whoever they were able to rotate. And that's kind of... That's kind of the point, isn't it? I, I, I take that on board. Like It shouldn't be as damaging as being in a Champions League would be. All of which takes us, Tim, to the game at the weekend against Aston Villa. Uh, I know you've got a soft spot for the Villa. Um, and the, the, uh, if, they, if they are going to um, you know, qualify for the Europa League, this is at this stage of the season, I, I kind of start to believe in must-win games. They certainly can't afford to lose. No, they can't. Villa have stuttered a bit in the past couple of weeks. A couple of um, defeats who, without who scoring. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, Danny. Yeah, the Mighty Wolves downed them with a magnificent uh, swashbuckling one nil victory at Molyneux uh, last week. So yeah, no, it, 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 I, th- I think it is must win. I think it's a good time to play them. Spurs' last three games are pretty, are pretty kind. I think playing Villa at a good moment, playing Brentford at a good moment next week, and then Leeds on the final day, we'll see where they're at. Could be a repeat of 1975 with Leeds needing the three points to stay up. To stay up. Oh, we could definitely lose 4-2. Oh, easily. Are you, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think this game is must-win, by the way, on Saturday against Villa. Because I, I, I think if you look at it, Villa would need to win 3-0 to go above Spurs this weekend. Uh, and then they've got Liverpool away next weekend. And then this aforementioned game against Brighton after that. Uh, Brighton are playing Arsenal away which you know we'll have mixed feelings about but I suspect Brighton won't win maybe they will which would be funny but I don't think they will so they're currently two points behind so they would stay behind so actually you could have a situation where Spurs lost this must win game as you put it as, at the well weekend. Ashley said they must lose and it's still in okay well, well either way they could lose that game and still be in sixth place it's not at all inconceivable they could lose that game and still be in sixth then Brighton have their midweek trip to Newcastle. Deserby's already been, you know, talking about how they've struggled with two games in a week. Newcastle obviously in great form, although they did lose to Arsenal at the weekend. That was a great game, though. Anybody, I just I could have won that yeah, game. Yeah, that's was, oh, was one of the highest quality yeah. prim- games of the season in the Premier League. Like gen- genuinely, the probably the best in terms of like two teams actually both playing well. So yeah, I don't. I actually don't think it's a must-win game. Like it would be great to win. It would take them so much nearer that. I think if they won that game, they'd be in such a good position for top six. 
Well, we're, 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 as I always say at this stage, this is where um, forecasting football is so difficult. One, it's so, it's so stupid because it's very hard to do it correctly. Uh, and secondly, this I've never, I feel so powerless. If I'm predicting a Spurs win, but I have no power to make it happen other than, you know, I don't, I don't pray to the footballing gods. I'm not sure I believe in them. Um, listen, two things I've got to say, um, housekeeping-wise. You really should, get, if you get a chance, you should really, really read Tim's piece about that terrible season where Spurs nearly went down before they were saved by Jurgen Klinsmann, we discussed earlier in the podcast. I really would ask you to read as well Charlie Eccleshare versus, uh, versus Jack Pitbrook. Yeah, it's a big face-off about Spurs and whether or not they should avoid Thursday night f- football altogether um, next season. I won't tell you who, who's on which side of the argument, but it's worth reading as well. All of which, and the second thing I've got to say, then, if I was keeping wise, is Tim, it's been a joy and an education as always. It's been great being back on. Cheers, Danny. And the rest of you, uh, the way you get a chance to, to read those things, and they are worth reading, as I say, very much worth reading for a Spurs fan, is that if you're not already a subscriber to Athletic, then you need to sign up now. Um, lots of great coverage of Spurs and a well, Almost, well, literally too much stuff to read about everybody if you're interested in football. You have to go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and you can sign up right now for just $1.99 a month. And that deal, which is a bargain, lasts for 12 months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Monday, by which time we should know the result at Aston Villa and whether Spurs have taken a giant leap to at least qualifying for a European tournament they can be proud of or whether they're perhaps setting the ground for finishing outside the European places all together. God bless you all. See you then. The Athletic.